shalom for body and soul. Shalom, or shalom, whichever way you want to say it, is the Hebrew word that's used for peace, and it's a very, very significant word in the Bible, and it's one of God's promises. In fact, it's one of God's names, as you will see. And not only do you hear people speaking Hebrew, uh, addressing one another with the greeting shalom, but also it's, it, the same root word is also found in Arabic, salam. It's the same word. So you think of millions and millions and millions of people all the way around the world, and the way that they greet, them, greet one another is to use this word, shalom, salam, as peace, peace be with you. Now, peace is one of the great promises of God. And, uh, of course, peace is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And I am convinced that the next powerful move of the Holy Spirit, whatever else it does, will bring a restoration of high levels of the fruit of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We've seen great moves of the gifts of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit come in waves, and then they withdraw a little bit, then they come in waves as the Holy Spirit moves. And the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful, but we also need the supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. And remember this, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is as supernatural as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No longer should we hear this nonsense about this church is a gifts church and they focus on the gifts, but we, we're a church that focus on the fruits. Actually, that's not the case. Most churches that say we don't focus on the gifts, we focus on the fruits, they don't have the fruits either. Because the fruits are intensely supernatural. Every one of the fruits is nothing like the natural version. You know, patience, someone says, oh, well, I was a patient man or woman before I became a Christian, and so I've had that fruit all my life. No, you haven't. No, every one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is supernatural and can only be, be, be manifested by very high levels of faith and trust in God because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the human nature. But often, or not often, but sometimes I'm looking at these words because I often study and come back to the fruit of the Holy Spirit because, as I said, I believe it's high on God's agenda, although it's very low on the body of Christ's agenda in the West world. West world. We don't really understand what the fruits are nor covet them. But sometimes I look at some of the fruits and some I'm moving in more than the others. Some I feel I have a greater understanding of the others. And, and one of the ones I couldn't quite get a grasp of and still can't, I'm on a journey, is peace. Another one is joy. I mean, joy is not just the joy of the Lord when it comes into a meeting and, and people are so touched by God that one of the expressions and responses and reactions that they have can be like a holy laughter. They're just so happy to be touched by God. That is God, but, but it's, it's, it's not the continuous fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what is joy? Well, I'm not doing that tonight, but peace is also one of these words. We all want it, but what is it? And, and, and how is it a supernatural fruit? Not just, well, I've got a, I, I'm going to go up to the mountains for some peace and quiet. I'm going to go into the woods or by the lakes or by the sea, or, or I just want to spend some, my some time with myself or get some peace, or I'm going to stay away from these people because they're breaking my peace. What is the supernatural gift and promise of peace? 
As I said, I don't have the full answer on this, but I believe that I'm on a journey in understanding and growing in the peace of the Lord, and I'd like to share that journey with you and see if it helps you in any way. Peace, the Hebrew word shalom or shalom. Peace for body and soul. John 16 verse 33 says this, Jesus speaking, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Well, isn't this strange? Peace in the midst of tribulation. Because in our hearts and minds, naturally speaking, we think that the absence of tribulation and problems and uh, difficulties and tragedies or perhaps conflicts, we think the absence of these things, that's peace, that's a peaceful life. But Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you that you may have peace in me. Hold that thought. Peace in me, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. There's a thread we're going to see throughout these scriptures. And the thread is this, is that peace comes through a faith and trusting relationship with Jesus that believes that whatever tribulation we're facing in life, Jesus is Lord. I mean, really believes it trusts it, prays it, and expects it. And to the degree that we have grown in trusting the Lord and believing that he is Lord, no matter what's going on in our lives or in our circumstances, is to the degree that we will begin to experience a peace that is not dependent on what's going on around us. He says... I've spoken to you these things so that you can have peace in me. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but you can have peace because I've overcome the world. In other words, when you're in a circumstance or a situation which is really rattling you and you don't know how it's going to turn out and you're worried and you've got sleepless nights and you're wondering, it's all going wrong, how's it going to end up? All these things that break your peace, yes? Well, if you trust Jesus that he's overcome already the very things that are entering into your experience, that is going to increase your peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. What wonderful words. Peace I, will, I leave with you. My peace I will give to you, not as the world gives. Well, what is the world's counterfeit peace that it's looking for? Well, there's many ways, isn't there? I've already mentioned one. Fleeing from difficult situations in order to stay at peace. So, uh, leaving a job, because if you leave the job which is giving you grief, you might get peace. Well, whether you should leave the job or not is a separate question. The absence of pain, running from anything that causes you trouble, keeping away from anybody that troubles you. I mean, how are we meant to love our enemies if we uh, cut them out of our lives all the time? 
You know, the great highest call of Christian life is to love your enemies. But if we're thinking, these enemies are troubling me, these enemies aren't pleasant, so I'm going to cut these enemies out of my life. Ah, that's so much better. Thank you, Lord. Well, where's the enemy you're going to love? And, and, and so cutting out people that we don't connect with, cutting out people that we would call our enemies, uh, that's what the world does all, all the time. But is that peace? It's a semblance of peace, but is that the peace that Jesus lives, leaves us with? Others are looking for peace in all the wrong places. And they get a measure of relief. And, and the world, when it's looking for peace, the most it can get is a measure of relief from the things that trouble them. So somebody might go to yoga and have a measure of peace from the difficulties of their lives. But it's only a measure and it's not the peace that Jesus leaves. Or someone uh, might find peace in recreation. Or they might find peace in um, watching television. Just switch off the world and all its pain and put the TV and lock into some fantasy and laugh at a few comedies and be thrilled by through thrillers. And for a while there may be a semblance of relief but then you have to wake up in the morning and face what, uh, what was there when you put the TV on. You, you understand what I'm saying. I don't have to go into this in detail. But the peace that Jesus left, my peace I give to you. Well, I think the key to Jesus' peace is in his relationship with his Father. You see, I've been saying that, that, that the levels of peace will grow in our lives as the levels of actual trust in our Father grows. Because Jesus was totally trusting of his father, that his father was completely in control of everything and everybody, even the devil himself. Jesus was completely, completely assured. There was times when he said, there's nothing you can do to me because my hour hadn't come. imagine, Imagine that. Jesus knew that there was an hour and there was a purpose that God had put him on the earth for and that he'd come for. And until that hour came, you couldn't touch me, he was saying. You can't touch me. You can't kill me. You can't divert me from my father's plan. There's nothing that you can do. You, 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 you know, the time when he began his ministry and he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. That was his first ministry engagement. And at the end of it, they want to go throw him off a cliff. And what did he do? Oh, it's beautiful. It just says, and he walked right through them. Why? Because it wasn't his time and his father was completely in control. Now, he did wrestle with it at times. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's like, is this really your will, father? Is, is there any other way that, that this can happen? Is there any, because if there's any other way, Father, can, can we do, is this really your will? Is, is there no other way of bringing about what you want me to do? And then finally he got to the place of rest, didn't he? Not my will, but thine be done. I'll drink the cup. And from that moment, even throughout his torture and crucifixion, there was a certain peace about Jesus. I mean, to hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To hang on the cross and, wit- uh, uh, and say to the thief, thief next to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, incredible. And at the moment when he's ready to say, 
Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I mean, in the most excruciating pain that he was going through, yet he still had peace. Why? Because he knew that there'd be a third day and that his father wouldn't leave him in the grave. So when you look at Jesus, there was this peace. And this peace was strengthened through his communion with his father and his prayer with the father. We'll come back to that in a minute. But let's have a look at this word shalom or shalom. Now, this word is a rich Hebrew word, and we generally translate it as peace. But it means to be safe, to be sound, to be healthy, to be complete. Shalom talks about a wholeness of life, not a brokenness, a completeness. Shalom speaks about well-being, harmony, a f- uh, to be flourishing. And that's, that's a beautiful word to describe Someone who's experienced shalom, a flourishing, a satisfaction, and yes, an absence of strife. So wholeness, completeness, well-being, flourishing. I'm going to uh, read you an extract from uh, a theologian, Cornelius Plantinga, and uh, his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Cornelius Plantinga and his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, where he speaks about what shalom, the Bible word, means. He wrote this. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and saviour opens doors and welcomes the creatures in in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. If you're making notes, write that down. That's a beautiful summary of what the word shalom or shalom means. Shalom, shalom is the way things ought to be. That's what we're talking about. Now, in Judges chapter 6, verse 24... The story of Gideon, I ministered on him a few weeks ago, and in that story, the Midianites are ravishing the land year after year after year. And Gideon is hiding in the wine press and getting the little grain that he can ready to hide it so he can make it through uh, the coming winter. And the Lord calls him out and speaks to him and then tells him to tear down the altar of Baal, which was going to cause a lot of trouble, and build a new altar. And in Judges 6.24, the Lord told him to build a new altar and to call it the altar and name it Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is Peace. And this is where we get one of the names of God. You know, you can go through the Bible and you can see different names of God. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Nissa, the Lord, my banner of victory. Uh, and we, and we, could go, we could go through. But here's one. Jehovah Shalom. 
So right in the midst of Midian oppression, difficulty, fear, God says, build me an altar in the presence of your enemies and call it Jehovah Shalom. Again, Jesus promises peace, and he promises peace in very difficult tribulation circumstances. Here, God reveals himself as Jehovah Shalom. And remember, Jehovah, or Yahweh, it's the same word. Jehovah or Yahweh, what does it mean? It basically means this. I will be whatever you need me to be in whatever situation you find yourself to be. Okay? Not I will be what you want me to be. Uh Uh-uh. But this, I'll say it again, Jehovah or Yahweh means this. Not I will be what you want me to be, but this. I will be what you need me to be in any situation that you find yourself to be in. Okay? And that's why we have these names. So what did Israel need Jehovah to be? I will be what you need me to be at that point. They needed peace in the midst of tribulation. Isaiah 9, 6, we often come to this verse at Christmas, Christmas is a wonderful prophecy, but, but look at the last title of who Jesus is. Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Shalom. Yeah, peace. And the word is Shalom. Prince of Shalom. He's going to come and he's going to be the one that, that rules and meets out and gives out peace. Romans 16. I'm just going to read a few scriptures and, and then we're going to move a little bit further. Romans 16.20. Here's a wonderful verse. Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So, when we're talking about peace, you think, oh, he's such a peaceful, quiet person. Well, peace crushes Satan. Well, if shalom is the way that things ought to be, then Satan is the way that things ought not to be, and Satan tries to make sure things are not the way that they should be. So, when peace manifests, it crushes Satan. When peace manifests in our lives, then what you'll find is that Satan trying to use the tribulation in us to stumble us and to bring out the works of the flesh is crushed. So how can you deal with the problems uh, where people are being sinful towards you or the difficulties of a fallen, broken, satanic world? How can you deal with them? Well, God will bring peace into your life and that peace will mean that you're free to go God's way and not the world's way And God's way always crushes Satan eventually. Even though it's totally different to what the world says. Because it's one of submission. It's one of love. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity of heart, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are the opposite to the way that people deal with tribulation in their lives. But peace brings these things. Let me read a couple of others to you. Here we have Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. 
Romans 8, 6. Well, let, let's start at Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we could go to Galatians 4 and we could look at the fruit of the Spirit. Sorry, Galatians 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. But just before the fruit of the Spirit, it's the works of the flesh, which is all manner of evil in trying to deal with the situation. And Paul is saying this, look, if you're fleshly, worldly minded, if, if you're thinking according to the way that the world deals with things, don't expect to have peace. In fact, what you're sowing in discord, you will reap with more pain and more discord. However, if you think like the Holy Spirit and respond like the Holy Spirit to the difficulties that are around you, and trust the Lord, even when it's counterintuitive, because your flesh says, don't do that. That's, gonna, that's the last thing you should do. You should rise up and strike and, 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 and assert yourself. But if you do what the Holy Spirit shows you to do, according to the fruit of the Spirit and the, and the Word of God and principles of love, then sooner or later, you will come out of that situation more whole and mature than you went into it. And that's peace. Peace is Christian maturity. Consider it all joy when you go through various trials, because through various trials you have patience, perseverance, and then you will be fully equipped, you will be whole, you'll be mature, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. That's shalom. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Here's the fruit of the Spirit that it begins with. Well, sorry, verse 5. Philippians 3, verse 5. It starts with the fruit of the Spirit. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, again, there's a link here to relying on God. Be anxious for nothing. We all suffer anxiety at times. Of course we do. But what God is saying, the way to deal with anxiety, which is one of the opposites of peace, is to bring it to the Lord. And to keep bringing it to the Lord until something inside you rests because you've put it at his feet and you've brought it to the Lord, and you believe he's heard you, and you believe that he's in control, he's Lord, and that he will sort it out, and that as long as you do your best, or even if you don't do your best, but try your best, God will do the rest. It's one of the maxims that I've taught my own son. I've said, Jake, just do the best you can and God will do the rest. You do the best, you, you do your best and God will do the rest. And what I mean by best is just try your best you can and God will do the rest, all right? And so here, bring it to prayer. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus. And one of the things is, oh, what needless troubles we bear, you know the song. We give it all to him in prayer. Give it to prayer. You say, well, I give it to prayer, I, I pray it, but I'm still anxious. Give it again. Only this time, mix it with a bit of faith 
and understanding. Yeah, well, I keep giving it. That's fine. You keep giving it and you keep giving it until you get to the place where you leave it. Sometimes you can have a peace. You've given it to the Lord. You wake up in the morning and you've lost that peace. What do you do? You give it to the Lord. You say, well, 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 well what happens? It's going to take time, friends, for you to build trust and confidence in the Lord so that you can experience his peace. You're not going to experience his peace overnight. God may impart peace to you, but don't expect impartations. That's come sovereignly by the Lord. Oh, I felt his peace and everything was all right. Wonderful. But don't expect that on a daily basis. Why? Because he wants you to grow in relationship with him. And so you learn to trust. You learn to cover things in prayer. You say, I don't know what to pray about a certain situation. Well, use the prayer that I always use when I don't know what to pray. I just say, Father, your will be done. Your kingdom come in this situation according to your will in heaven, let it be done on earth. Not my will, not their will, but your will be done. And you just keep praying that. Well, I don't know how it's going to work out, I don't know, I understand that, but God does. He does. And if you've prayed, he's listening, he's hearing. Sometimes when I pray over something again and again, I get to the place where I know it's just my immaturity and say, Lord, I know I've already prayed this a number of times. And I know I keep praying it, but it's because I'm, I'm insecure. I can't help it. I'm nervous. I'm worried. I don't know what to do, so I'm bringing it to you again. Uh, just help me, Lord, because I'm not at that place where I can leave things as easily. So I'm praying to you about it again and again and again and again, really for my benefit, not yours. You've already heard. You hear what I'm saying? There's a difference between covering something in prayer and getting nervous and worried you can tell when you pray where you are. Sometimes our prayers aren't prayers at all. They're just anxiety expressed. That's all right to express your anxiety. Oh, God, will you do this? Oh, God, will you do this? Oh, God, oh God will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? Will you... Oh, please, God, will you do this? It's all right. It's all right. But God doesn't want to keep you there. He wants, to, uh, he wants you to express, God, I don't know what's going on. I, don't, I really, my mind is spinning. I can't sleep at night. But I pray that your will will be done. I trust you, help me trust you. Do you hear the difference? Lord, you said you'd take control. Lord, you promised you'd never leave me. Lord, you can turn things around. Lord, I don't know why we're going down this route, but I'm asking for your grace and your mercy. See, these words then become mixed with faith, mixed with his character. We grow in prayer, we grow in knowledge, and we grow in peace. You know... I was reading a book on psychology recently and it was speaking about a person's locus of control. A person's locus of control. What do we mean by locus? It comes from location. It means where do they think that their life is controlled from? Where, where is your life controlled from? Who controls your life? Where is the control of your life? And this is psycho psychological, it's not Christian. But they were talking about different students at a university, and some had an external locus of control. They believed that the control of their lives was beyond them, outside them. And others had what they call an internal locus of control. In other words, uh, everything that would happen to them in life basically was all about what was within them. Now, the people that had an external locus of control, actually, they suffered from uh, anxiety, fear, depression, and anger because they had an external locus of control. And they felt that their life 
their success or their failure was, was due to external factors so another, that were beyond their control. In other words, my life is due to external factors that's beyond my control, it's not my fault. So it could be luck or fate or injustice or bias or people that, that didn't give them the chance that they should give, or people that block their desires. So for these students, it's your fault that I'm not achieving at school. Or it's your fault that I, I, I don't have the job that I want. Or it's your fault, or it's their fault, or it's everybody. You are controlling my destiny. An external, what a terrible place to be in. Because you're going to blame some people, aren't you? And, and you're going to think that your future is determined or not determined by the people around you. That's not good for relationships or the way that you live your life. Because you, be, Those with an internal locus of control, it was said that these people were healthier. Because they said, hey, it's all about what, what I give life. So if they didn't get an, failed an exam, they wouldn't blame the teacher, but they'd say, Do you know what, I should have studied harder. Uh, if they didn't get the promotion, they'd say, Do you know what, uh, I'll need to, I need to go somewhere else to find where I can get a promotion. Or they, they were thinking, what can I do? It's me, it's me, it's me. They, were, they weren't saying, it's all you out there. It's, it, it's not my fault. It, it's forces that I can't control. They were saying, I can control everything and it's in my power to do it. And they were saying that that's healthy. But you know what? I don't think either of those are spiritual or healthy. Because one is, my life is good or bad because of all you lot around me. Well, that's not good. Or the other one is, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. If I fail, it's my fault. If I succeed... It's me and me alone. It, that's not a good place. Neither of these are good places to have a, a locus of control. And neither will bring peace. Because you'll be annoyed all the time or worried or anxious about what people are going to do or not going to do to facilitate or block you. You'll be anxious. That'll bring all sorts of flesh out. Or you'll be so worried about whether you're going to succeed or fail as a person. You'll say it's all down to you and blaming yourself all the time, that you're not going to experience peace. But to have an external locus of control, and that external locus of control is a man-God who's sitting on the throne of heaven. You, now you're saying, wait a second, everything in my life is in the Master's hand. Jesus, who, who went through death, who went through all these things and is raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father and the Father is giving him all power and authority over the earth, under the earth, on the earth. He is completely, utterly Lord of all. And so even the man might not be perfect, but God's plan is. You're not even trusting in, in how good you're doing. You're trusting in the fact that God has plans for you that take into account your imperfections and your failures. How wonderful to know that. That you can limp forward with all your problems and all your failings and know that, hey, if, if, if I don't sort myself out perfectly now, I'm finished. I'll never reach my destiny. No, but you just keep on limping and know that God, God has your limp in mind when he planned it. God understood your failures and his plan is perfect even you're not and he's taken into consideration, you see? 
So now you're looking out at God and you hit something and you don't immediately say, this person must be sorted out or this person is blocking me or this person, this person, or I need this person. This person's got to be my friend. This person's got to show me the way. And you're looking for other people that will be the keys to what you want to get or people that are blocking what you want to get. You know, you're going to Jesus. You're going to the Lord. And you're saying, Lord, you will give what's good to me and I'm seeking you. Your external locus uh, of control is sitting on the throne. And everything you go through, you just take to him. What a different way of living. As we grow in this, we will grow in maturity. You know, in the any, anybody who was brought up Church of England here, you know, in, in the communion service, just before you take the communion, you say the peace to one another, don't you? And the minister will, will, will say, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And we will answer, and also with you. And then he'll say, let us offer one another a sign of peace. And so at every communion service, when I went to a communion service, when I was up in Durham Cathedral, I went to a lunchtime communion service. And the best bit was the peace. I, I was just so touched by people going around saying, the peace of the Lord be with you. People I didn't even know. And I thought, but they're my brothers and sisters. And as we spoke, I felt something was happening. You can bless people with peace. In fact, let's do it right now. Stand up. And, and what you're going to do, you just don't start till I say. Don't start till it's constant. Wait, wait. You've got to get, whoa, stop, 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 stop. Look, they don't do it like this in the Church of England. Everybody waits till they're told. Look, they're off already. Scott, stop it. Right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to eight, nine, or ten people, and you're going to look them in the eye, and you're going to prophesy, and you're going to say, say this to one another. You'll say it, and the person will say, the peace of the Lord be with you. Now, shake their hands, but if they're your friends, you know them well, and it's, give them a hug, whatever you want. But bless them and say, the peace of the Lord be with you. And then say it back to one another. Off you go. Move around a bit. Don't just do two or three. Move across. Peace of the Lord be with you. Say it like you mean it. Take your seats. Some of you are going home. This isn't. 
No, no, this, this isn't when we do the, the grace at the end. This is the before the communion, but you don't go home after this. The, there was something in that, wasn't there? About speaking peace to one another. So peace is something that we grow in. Yes, God can give you an instantaneous touch of peace. I've said that. But peace is growing. That's why he says, in this world you'll have tribulation, but my peace to you. You're going to find peace through difficulties. And you're going to find, let those difficulties, let those anxieties, let those worries, let those negative circumstances drive you to Jesus. And then when you get, amen. And then don't expect that as soon as you go to Jesus, it's all going to be solved. But learn, grow, begin to trust him. Begin to pray. Begin to rely on him. Begin to move in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Begin to act like Jesus would, trusting the Lord in heaven. And you will begin to grow in peace. The greater we trust the Lord, the more peaceful our lives will be. That's why, that's why... You see, when you read these books about martyrs, people who've died for the Christian faith, and you see how they died, or, or you read books about people that have been in prison for like, in China for like 25 years, and, and they come out and they're softer, closer to the Lord. They can take things easier than we that have got everything, well, you know what I mean, comparatively. And so these Christians that have very little are often, more often than not, a lot more peaceful than Western Christians that have usually so much more. Why? Because our peace comes from the so much more so often, where these people have got nothing but the Lord, and they've learned just to be satisfied with him. And so whatever bad things happen to them, it can't shake their peace, because their peace is not determined by the bad things that happen to them. It's determined by their rock-solid trust of the Lord. That's, that's, that's very high. You say, I'm nowhere near there. One day at a time, one day at a time. Finally, we need peace with God. Peace with self and peace with one another. In the Old Testament, they would have a peace offering. It's called a shalom offering. They'd take a ram and they would sacrifice it and shed its blood for peace to come to God to man. I won't go into it in detail. It's time to minister. But Isaiah 53 verse 5 speaks about the fact that Jesus died for our peace. It says that uh, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Actually, the word in Isaiah 53, verse 4, actually, the actual proper translation should be, surely he has borne us our sicknesses and carried our pains. This is why Jesus also has a healing ministry to bring peace to people's body. Yet we, we, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he's wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. This is what God wants us to do. It could be here tonight that you need to make peace with God. Well, he's only one prayer away. And if you believe that Jesus died for you, died for your sins so that you could have peace and knowledge that when you die, you will go to heaven, then you are saved. 
We have a table outside as you leave tonight called Big Yes, Little Yes, Healthy Maybe. And it's for people that in their heart tonight have said, I say yes to Jesus. Forgive me my sins, Lord. I believe you died and, and rose again. And I want to follow you. We'll help you at the table. Or maybe you don't say a big yes, but a little yes. What's a little yes? Little yes is to yourself saying, do you know what? I'm not sure about this, but I'm going to find out more about Jesus. I'm going to investigate the Christian faith. We have things for you on that table as well. Or perhaps you just say to yourself, well, I don't know. Well, at least could you give us a healthy maybe? What's that? It's saying I won't close my mind to the things of Jesus. I'll stay open-minded. Again, if there's something that we've got, New Testament scriptures, tracts, leaflets, they're all there for the table for you. But now as we come to ourselves, I want to close with this story of a man who found peace and wrote it in a hymn. His name is Horatio Spafford. And uh, he was well known in the 1860s business world of Chicago. He was a prominent lawyer, a senior partner in a large and thriving law firm. He and his wife were prominent supporters and close friends of the evangelist Dwight Moody. He invested in real estate in the north of expanding Chicago in the spring of 1871. And then the great fire hit Chicago, reduced the city to ashes and destroyed most of his fortune. Scarlet fever killed his young son of four from him. Two years later in 1873, Spafford decided his family should take a holiday somewhere in Europe and chose England knowing that his friend D.L. Moody would be preaching there. He was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead. His wife and their four children, daughters, 11-year-old Anne, Annie, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, Maggie, 5-year-old Elizabeth, Bessie, and 2-year-old Tanetta. On November 22, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Ville de Havre, their ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel and 20, 226 people lost their lives, including all four of Spafford's daughters. Anna Spafford, his wife, survived the tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to Spafford beginning, Saved Alone. He then sailed to England going over the location of his daughter's death. As he sailed over to England, he wrote this famous song, that we'll sing together and minister and pray for people. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. 
O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And Lord, haste the day, when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. A song in the night, O my soul. Can I have the ministry team here at, at the front, please? We're going to sing this uh, hymn together. Hopefully we've got all the verses, so we'll go through all the verses that we have. And this is your response to the Lord concerning his shalom for your life. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever anxieties rack you, think of Spafford and the series of things that he went through, and yet he could sing a song about peace that comes from the Lord. As we sing this song, if any of you want to come out and, and after this song we'll sing others and to be prayed for, for any situations you're in, for God's strength and God's peace to be grown in your life as a fruit, you're welcome to come out. But maybe just as you stand and let's stand together and you sing this, perhaps God will do a work of peace in your soul. Let's stand together. Yes. Well. 